Good day. Welcome to episode 41 of the Aaron Wayne Podcast. Today's guest is Clint Witten. Clint is an educator, an advocate for visibility for LGBTQ plus youth in the educational system, a fitness enthusiast, and just all around badass dude. We talk about fitness, art, education, what it was like being in the closet until his 20s, what it's like coming out, and what it was like being in, and uh, it was a great conversation. I tagged at the show notes uh, organization called The Trevor Project, so if you're interested in supporting LGBTQ plus youth, a uh, great organization that could use some attention, so if you're interested, tune in, great conversation, great guy, here we go. Does the scrolling thing make me anxious? What scrolling thing? Like this. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I'll do a proper intro and everything. Totally. Like, before, um, like, this part of it. I'm okay. going to cut all this random okay. babbling out, too. But You don't love this part? This isn't the part of the... I mean, we can keep it. Maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I'll keep it. Uh, depends on how it sounds. So, you just took me through a workout at your gym. I did. And I'm, I'm still, like, trying to catch my bearings and my brain. And my, yeah. I'm just sitting in this position. I'm like still shaking. Yeah. Like setting up the podcast equipment. I had you look at me because I was like I'm shaking a little like bit, man. Straight shaking. Yeah. And I was really curious. Um, like I was just telling one of the people here, we're at uh, Wine Lab in Blacksburg. I'm kind of like scarfing on Boyer's podcasting spot. Yeah. You AKA were. the Plat Avenger, <laughs> AKA like the wine savant of Blacksburg, like yeah. this cat. Um, so and it's a pretty dope like space too. It's like, beautiful. It's beautiful. Like looking at the framing, I was like, we oh yeah. Beautiful like behind us yeah and the the people that work here brought us lo- some lovely little flowers and a beaker they did which was really cool um but the workout really kind of cooked me and i was thinking about this on the way to the gym this morning because like two or three years ago just knowing you so like I'll, like i said i'll intro this in mm-hmm. the beginning but you know we worked together for a couple years and when I first met you, you were not a fitness dude. No. And now, like, if you look at Clint's Instagram, which will be tagged in the show notes, like, dude, shred it. Like, you're, you yeah. got, you went from, like, just being a dude who teaches English yeah. to now you're just, like, super into fitness. So, like, what was, was there a moment that you were like, I got to do something? Or were, I'm still shaking. Look at my hands. I'm like, my whole <laughs> body is shaking from the workout. But did you get to a point, was it like a thing or were you just like this gradual progression of getting into it? No, so around, it, it actually is pretty synonymous with me coming out. Okay. Um, so about two years ago, I was like, I need to get back into like kind of working out, like seeing what it is. So I started, just got a membership at like Planet Fitness and I would go mm-hmm. like once or twice like a week, like not even anything like regular. Mm-hmm. Um, then in January. Did you have the like the mind like the mind of how to be able to find a like to do a workout just no, showing up at a Planet Fitness? No, it was mostly like cardio, and yeah. then I'd kind of watch what other people would do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in um, You're just like prowling around January, the gym, like what, is it? what are they doing? January 2020, yeah, okay. January 2020 is when one of my uh, my sister's best friend's husband texted me and was like, "Dude, I'm starting this Superman program by Dr. Jim Stamalani, this like fitness okay. expert. Okay, let's do Planet Fitness. Like, I'll meet you at the gym at seven or eight o'clock every night. Like, and we'll do it together." So we started doing that, and I like fell in love with the, the learning about supersetting, learning mm-hmm. about um, how to pair stuff in the in mm-hmm. the strength industry, how to work on like your joints and all of that. And then of course, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. COVID happened and um, we were all like, well, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So I partnered with this other guy who was doing the workouts with us, but he has a more hip background. Mm-hmm. And so we would go outside every day around 9, 930. Um, we went to Lane Stadium. Mm-hmm. We went to a park, we went to um, the fitness park at Virginia Tech, and we would just come up with our own workouts that were a mixture of hit and strength. Um, and we would do that. And then he ended up moving back up to Nova. And I was like, I've got to gotta keep moving. i've gotta keep mm-hmm. something consistent. you get hooked on it yeah especially the hit stuff like this morning when i was going through it i was like i remember this sensation of i can't go anymore yeah. but then just doing a couple more reps you just gotta keep going yeah and when you get out of that like i do even though my body right now is feeling like shaky yeah. and like not very strong like there is like the sense of clarity and euphoria that comes from 
really challenging metabolic conditioning and oh, like yeah. hit workouts. Yeah. So like you were hooked. You got yeah. hooked on it and like this dude bounces and then then what? Yeah, so this dude bounced and I had had an old professor friend who invited me to come work out with her. Um, went to peak for like the first week and like died. Mm-hmm. Like I was there. I, yeah, I did that. That was me this morning. <laughs> um, and I mean, it's not. It's my nine thirty class is the normal one I go to, and you were in there with all of these just housewives, mm-hmm. and these women are beasts. And to be around that, um, and you're like in that network now. Like oh, I yeah. see on your Instagram, like you're like going to like pool time. parties and stuff. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I am. So. Um, I'll never forget when I first got there, I was so nervous and because these women had been there for since peak open, which was mm-hmm. like three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the fitness instructor was like, what type of music are y'all into today? And she was like, how do y'all feel about girl power? And like, no one really said anything. And I like just stepped up and I was like, hell yeah, let's do some hell girl yeah. power yeah, music. Yeah. And they like have been obsessed with They're me like, ever since. That guy, I like him. Yes. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, ever since then, I've gone pretty much like every day. In con- really? some capacity, like, um, I mean, there are definitely days where I go and I focus more on like the mobility, mm-hmm. prehab, rehab type stuff mm-hmm. versus like throwing myself into like the fitness washing machine mm-hmm. and like dying. It's crazy, man. Like, it's it's interesting because the reason I ask that is because so many people they they start on that path of like, oh, I'll go to Philanthropy Fitness a couple times, and yeah, then, and then they just keep paying a membership for. 10 or 12 months yeah. before they cancel it because they realize they haven't been going. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty rare that people actually like follow through with that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm, I realize that I'm super competitive. Yeah. And okay. so I always used to like to work out by myself. And now that I'm in this group, like I get so competitive with them Yeah. Um, in the gym when we're doing the workouts, like I don't. It's totally different when you're in a group of people yeah. doing a thing. That's one of the things I say about yoga. Like, and we were just talking to uh, Cassie, who's who's here with us uh, in the wine lab, and or it's like it's completely different doing an online class versus mm-hmm. doing a class with people, yeah. breath and movement. Like it's it's completely different. Yeah, and know? I remember during COVID, every once in a while, I would log into your um, your online mm-hmm. yoga stuff, but it is so much different. It's like you're watching a thing, you yeah. know, instead of experiencing a thing, yeah, you know, so. And I think that's one distinct thing about the peak style, like the, their modality of like, here's some people, here's a workout. You can do it. You can do whatever you want. Like I didn't yeah. quite know what yeah. to expect. So coming in this morning, I was thinking, I was thinking in a yoga way yeah. where it's like, there's an instructor in the front, here's a row of mats yeah. and we're all doing the same thing at the same time. But there were, what I appreciated about it was like, here's the workout. You want to do it. You can do it. Mm-hmm. And the instructor was there and he gave me a couple tips on yep. a few different things. And he's things. not going to let you have bad form. And his name was Chris. Right? Curtis, Curtis, yeah. Curtis, um, and he gave me a couple tips on a few things yeah. like that I wasn't sure about, but it was super like casual, but still like created a sense of like we're working towards fitness. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, which is really cool. I'd love to be in that space because you know maybe because it's you know Saturday morning, you know, yeah, it wasn't super packed, but I would love to be in there when there's like. 10 15 people and it's such an interesting place to work out too because each of the trainers have a different background right mm-hmm. you have jen miller who is like i a, love jen shouts out to the homie jen yeah she's like a yoga like superstar right in, mm-hmm. in the community and then you have someone like curtis whose background is military and so mm-hmm. his stuff is very like i mean his background in just strict like power lifting mm-hmm. and so he comes from that and then we have another um trainer but he had he, some really good calisthenic oh movements which, which were really bonkers like yeah. seeing some of his movements and then we really have cool. a woman like Paige who leads our metcons on tuesday and thursdays and she's the one that really brought knees over toes to mm-hmm. peak um, back in january mm-hmm. and so she's really big into the prehab rehab stuff and making sure that um, all of your your joints and your the knees over toes thing. I want to do more learning about it because it seems like this. Like if you if you go online and you go to Instagram and you just uh, search knees over toes guy, yeah, you'll see like all of his videos mm-hmm. and his thesis and he kind of lays it out. Um, and having gone through yoga training, like I'm, I was we were talking about this at the gym. Like I'm coming to a new understanding of what knees over toes means. Yeah, but I haven't corroborated his thesis with other like understandings yeah. and and anon- anatomy and other teachers teaching he those sorts like of things because like, in the yoga world it's very much like if your knee goes past your toes you're gonna blow it out and then oh, you'll, sure. you'll die and you'll never you're yeah i'm sure yeah you'll go bankrupt and everyone will leave you and, and it's he like has it's the, the whole, worst like, thing ever stretch series that we always do either before or after class mm-hmm. like that's supposed to take like 
a good like 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, one of my good friends, Gemma, who works out with me, um, and she runs like 20 miles like every other day. Mm-hmm. And she started doing it and like saved her running because of how long distance she is. Intuitively, it makes sense. Like you should just like your knees are designed to go past your toes. Mm-hmm. I just need to learn more about it, you know? And I want to start bringing that into the, my yoga teaching if I learn enough about it and know yeah. that it's safe. I mean, you see so many people that come into a yoga room and just, their knees are like a real thing for people. Yeah. Knee, people have like really wonky knees. Yeah. This has turned into a fitness podcast. I never, <laughs> I never really talk about fitness, but like yeah. it's, it's on my mind. Yeah. Um, and so you brought, you brought up, um, so the fitness thing was just sort of like you trickled your way into it, mm-hmm. but you said it correlated with you coming out. And I was actually curious about that because yeah. especially as a public school teacher, I see all these kids that like, they're like kind of playing with the idea of expressing yeah. like that this is their experience. And uh, you from having like brief conversations yeah. previously, like you came out later in life. Like it wasn't like a middle high school kind of thing. Oh God, no. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I mean, maybe if, if you want to talk about that and you maybe tell that story, but one of the specific things that I was curious about was when people have these huge choices that they make mm-hmm. in order to either express themselves or to make a life change. Yeah. Um, oftentimes it ha- it, there's an event associated with it. Yeah. And was that so like your fitness thing, like you sort of trickled your way into that. Do you feel that you trickled your way into coming out or were you like... Dude, it it's this is the weirdest thing to come out, especially this late in life. Like I knew since I was like in elementary and middle school, mm-hmm. and of course, like, and you came out when you in like I came after out when I, I knew you, twenty three or twenty four. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. like super late. Like, so there was so much internalized homophobia that was happening mm-hmm. from where I grew up, like Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. um, and just in a very conservative uh, area. Mm-hmm. And so, never once thought in a million years when I was in middle high school and even early college, never thought that I could ever come out. You could do it. Yeah. And if anyone did find out, like I did, like I would think that I would have to kill myself. Like mm-hmm. that's how extreme all of that was. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it created a lot of depression, a mm-hmm. lot of, um, I had an eating disorder in mm-hmm. college. Um, and so finally when I did who the first person I ever came out with, um, too, was actually my colleague, Misty Luster. Shouts out to Misty. Yeah, she was my cooperating yeah. teacher, oh, and then right we on. became, like, best friends, and so we were at McAdoo's one day, and so finally we just kind of, like, slowly, and it was, like, one of those things is, like, well, I guess I could maybe see myself, like, dating a guy, and then mm-hmm. slowly over time I was, like, no, but, like, you're just gay. <laughs> <laughs> you're gay, dude. You're gay. <laughs> and so when, when you came up, when, when I came out, like, there was this moment of, like, okay, now you can love yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And when you think about loving yourself, I think um, being comfortable with the skin you're in, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for so long I was uncomfortable in the skin I was in because I didn't really care about myself very much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always had this, like, out plan of, like, shit, like, if things go sideways, then... Sideways being people, like, figuring out, out that you're yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was, it was very much a, okay, this is your time to self-love yourself. Mm-hmm. Now let's self-love your body that you're in now let's get shredded yeah bro <laughs> and i'm not saying like you know if people are comfortable in whatever they look like that's fine yeah 100 you know it yeah. doesn't have to be like a four pack of abs yeah yeah um to me it's not even about abs or having big arms it's just i know the mental um fortitude that happens after i go to the gym and mm. how confident i feel after and um how much that translates into me throughout the day mm-hmm. projecting this love that I try to project into the universe um, as much as I can. And it's the time dedicated to whatever yeah. pra- your practice is. And it's not necessarily the outcomes. Like I talk about this in a yoga context all the time. It's like, you know, you look around a yoga room and someone has their foot behind their head mm-hmm. and you're like, why don't I have my foot behind my head? Yeah. And then you go to like a gym, a gym where people are lifting. It's like, well, like Curtis today, like his arms look great. Yeah. You know what I mean? His arms look great. I was, and then I'm, I look at my arms. Yeah. Right. And I still have these things that I'm working with. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like even with all the practices that I have, I'm still thinking, um, I want my arms to look like well, that. Well, it's that you know fundamental I mean? part of like how we as humans should progress through life. Like you should be able to find something and be like, Hey, I want to focus on that skill and I want to mm-hmm. get better at it. And, um, I want to do something that e- even is small to better myself. Like during COVID could never do a headstand Mm -hmm. could never even think about holding like a two second like handstand Mm -hmm. forearm press was never and it's been a year now and I can kind of do all of those things and it just is one of those 
things that like it's not too late in life like mm -hmm. you can figure out how to do these things for you and you're going to feel really badass when mm -hmm. you do start getting these um, concepts and in a big way i think it's just the time into it and so like there's like the achievement uh oriented mindset of like i want to be able to do a press forearm stand mm -hmm. right or i want to have arms like curtis or like whatever it is like there is an aspect of that but i think the more important thing to consider is that i have taken this time yeah to take care of myself and back to the conversation that you brought up which is like that self-love like that thing of like i you know i'm out, we're all out here living our lives yeah. working in the world um you know you and i are teachers i mean you just went back to school which i'd love to yeah. talk about that in of a course. second but you know we go we go do our work and it's all about like giving and working and like trying to share yeah. something with people and there i'm sure there's a lot of people listening it's like your job is either to like support you and a family or support yourself yeah. or your job is like working to contribute to your community and, and we don't a, take the time for ourselves. That's a really line. interesting thing to think about too. It's like, there's a lot of privilege that comes into the fact that I can go to the gym mm -hmm. at nine 30, mm -hmm. go pay my subscription. Mm -hmm. I have financial support to be able to eat healthy and able-bodied and like, able-bodied. Yeah. Like all of these things are factors that go into just the ableism mm -hmm. that comes around, um, being able to live that type of, of mm -hmm. fit lifestyle or mm -hmm. being able to um to do those things right mm -hmm. and it's like finding the thing finding whatever it is is that time right so it could be journaling yeah. it could be well and so breath the, meditation um, it could be you know walking thing. in so nature try, sitting on a bench you know we try to get like one thing right we we're like okay like Aaron, like the rest of your like life, you just like do your yoga. That's like your thing. That's going to mm -hmm. be your like passion. But I think there's such a cool thing of like fitness is over here for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. But like, that's not my creative side. Like mm -hmm. I have to paint and write poetry over here mm -hmm. to get that. Oh, I didn't know you painted. I know you're a po you do well, poetry, I, but it's self-taught. So I don't paint well, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very like creative process for me to be able to look at a blank canvas and to see all the colors like come together and, and that's just another iteration of self-love yeah right yeah it's just another like using that as a form of expression 100%. as a form of like loving you and like loving your thoughts and like what you're up to and i think we have this huge culture of like we constantly need to be around other things and other mm -hmm. people and i'm like i I'll go to like the river by myself and mm -hmm. like sit down there and have a glass of wine mm -hmm. or i'll go to um I go like on a mini hike by myself. Like mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of health that goes into alone time and feeling like, hey, there's a live band. And instead of feeling the pressure of like texting everyone and then people giving you these excuses of why they can't come, like, mm -hmm. dude, if you want to just go to the band, go to the band. Like, good, that's like, yeah. that's badass. You don't like, need, yeah, you don't, yeah. I and like so that. I think learning that part about myself too, that I can be comfortable doing things alone mm -hmm. really has helped me out tremendously when it comes to like the social pressure you think you so. were you behaving that way five years ago oh god no i would never go anywhere five years ago by myself really yeah now like i i if i want to i mean granted i know this community and i'm comfortable in this community and mm -hmm. a lot of people know me so mm -hmm. oftentimes when i do go no out, need to brag but <laughs> <laughs> oftentimes when i do go out like i'll bring like my my poetry or i'll bring something to write and i'll sit down or, or have a glass of um, wine or coffee or whatever and I'll see people that I know and we'll talk to each other but mm -hmm. as far as like constantly feeling the pressure of like oh my god I have to have someone mm -hmm. going out with me to do these things like yeah I like that idea I think that's good I think it's a good lesson for people to kind of take up and I think also like the the story of like this wasn't your experience for a majority of your life oh, 100%. this was not you yeah this isn't how you behaved and then you like flip switch and you're like actually I, I should be doing things mm -hmm. by myself I should take myself and go do things and and value my body value my mind value my creativity yeah I love that were you writing poetry before so as an English teacher were you into literature and poetry prior to and then you were like let me become an English teacher because I think that's something I want to share or so yeah so ever since my um my grandma passed away in ninth grade mm -hmm. um and I got super depressed mm -hmm. after she passed away. She was like my like role model like throughout life or whatever. And so in junior year in high school, um, that's when I started writing poetry. But when I tell you this poetry is like mm -hmm. so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty rough. <laughs> it is pretty rough. Do you still have any of those notebooks? Oh, 100%. Oh, my it's God. All I have online, all my notebooks too. and I never look at them because it's just like. I'm mortified. It would be fun to just like be able to anonymize myself and share that with people. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Just I've so they can see about, it as an exemplar of like this is how teenage minds work. Yeah, you know? I've even thought about like at some point in my academia career going back and almost treating my um, my poetry like as a case study and really going back and being like, listen, this is a 15 year old kid who mm-hmm. was in the closet, mm-hmm. who was severely depressed because of his grandmother, who did not feel comfortable in his own skin, who mm-hmm. was just sexually assaulted, like all mm-hmm. of these things. Um, that would be so interesting to look back at some of that poetry and being like, See, like even though it, it's bad poetry, yeah. but just a bit like analyze, like what was this kid like really thinking? The word choice, like, yeah, yeah all those things. It's probably like super hyperbolic and like extremely dramatic yeah. and no subtlety. No. <laughs> <laughs> like good poetry is like, good poetry is like, good poetry can be, it's so intentionally ambiguous mm-hmm. that it can be interpreted in a way. It's like the postmodern idea of like, we can look at this however yeah. we want to look at this, right? We, this is a thing that's independent of yeah. the author, independent of society. This is like my interpretation. That's like, yeah. as I, how I would define postmodernism and like good poetry allows you to like blanket your interpretations, your experience, your understanding conceptions of yeah. interpersonal dynamics and yeah. society and a 13-year-old's poetry does not do that. No. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. It's, it was bad, man. Um, yeah. But that's why I love poetry. It's, a, it's the fragmentation, right? Mm-hmm. It's the lack of um, structure. It's the lack of rules. Um, mm-hmm. I never I never felt like I was a good writer all mm-hmm. through, like, growing up. Okay. Um, in fact, like, grammar rules didn't even stick with me until, like, halfway through college. Like, And then mm-hmm. one day I was just like... I understand it. Like that was my experience. Too. I was like, I understand that it. Was my and so experience. even when teaching grammar, I'm like, you know, it's, it is what it is. Like mm-hmm. you're going to get it one day and mm-hmm. it's going to come from you analyzing your own writing. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's when I learned so much is when I did my independent study with, uh, Catherine Graham at Virginia Tech on a fairy tale project. And she would sit down with me like once a month and we would go through and she would be marking up my paper and sentence by sentence. And I was like, Oh, like I totally understand why you need a comma there or why you mm-hmm. need a semicolon there or um, like word choice. Mm-hmm. So I think it just comes naturally eventually. Grammar is this interesting thing that's like almost independent of, so like we have our vernaculars that we, and like the colloquialisms and like the way that we just talk with people. Yeah. We have standard English and then we have grammar, right? Mm-hmm. And so like you can look at a scientific article and, or even like some really like, um, formal prose and like that's extremely standard yeah. uh, English grammar style and then we have the way that we speak like I just uh, showed my kids a poem by uh, Jamila Lyscott called Three Ways to Speak English oh yeah 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 you know that one yeah it's, well, so, I, is, did she ever write that like in word or did you show them the I showed them, spoken word I, I showed them the spoken word but okay. I, I pulled the transcript because okay. it, it was a TED talk so I just pulled the transcript and like she put reads it together poem dude she did immaculate yeah, I love it <laughs> and then I, I tied it in with like some other stuff that we were doing but like the the punchline of that that I wanted the kids to get is like we, we just speak how we speak mm-hmm. and like there are rules within these structures and so from my experience I can talk about how and, and probably your experience too being from the country because I'm from the country mm-hmm. too like you you know we say y'all because we don't have you plural yeah right it's actually yeah. a sophistication on the language right yeah. it's not it's not some sort of bastardization of the language so we have that and then on top of that we have grammar which i think is almost independent of the three if you think about like noam chomsky's idea of universal grammar yep and so like you have this so we went from fitness to like chomsky it's this impressive. is like my whole this like, is impressive. life. Yeah, I'm gonna add this whole podcast to my ten bio. You know, want to know who I am? <laughs> but you have you have like because you can you can read Vonnegut. Yeah. And look at his grammar, and it's completely screwed. Yeah. And like it's all over the place. And then you can and then you can look at Cormac McCarthy, and it's like you read a whole page, and there's yeah. three periods, no commas. You know what I mean? And the so it's like, it, but the, it's grammatically true. It's like yeah. it's like grammar is this like meta thing that is informing standard English which is the thing that yes. is apprised and like looked at as yeah. like if you can speak standard English you're an articulate intelligent person right and then all of the different articulations and dialects and vernaculars that we use yeah. be it like in a, in my community and in other communities people often look at that as if it's independent of this meta concept of grammar right because it's not the same as standard English whereas right. it's still following Chomsky's idea of like we have a language muscle in our brain, yeah. and it is it utilizes grammar in order to make sense of how we communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. 
This is highbrow shit, bro. Which is really interesting because, right, like, grammar has created this, very, and especially Western grammar, right? And I worked at the writing center, and when I worked at the writing center at Virginia Tech, I had a ton of international students who would come in. And at the end of the day, like, there's no good reason why Western English language has articles. They just were literally, like, the B and the A. Like, mm-hmm. they don't exist in a ton of other languages. And it's so what you find out is, like, it's just another way to create otherness, right? Yeah. Um, like, if you don't understand the articles, then you're a part of the other world, which you is just a don't huge, get it. Yeah, it's a huge yeah, discourse. You just don't get it. You're uneducated. There's something wrong with yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I think is, the, I think it's oftentimes the point of language, historically, like how to say, this is how we speak standardly, this is how we speak now. Um, and I think that's, I think it's really messed up in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, and one of the, so I took a linguistics class in college. And the biggest takeaway that I took from Paul Wachowski at RU, shouts mm-hmm. out to Paul, was that the language of people in power is the one that's valued. Yes. And the language of people uh, that aren't in that category, it's yeah. just everybody looks at it as like, you don't get it, you're uneducated, and inherently there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Because you can't get it. You can't speak the way we spe- speak. You say acts instead yeah. of ask. So you must be stupid. Yeah. And that was the biggest takeaway. It like blew my mind open because prior to that, you know, I grew up the way I grew up. And like, even though, you know, I go home and say things like, which y'all fit into do, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I talk to people like that. Yeah. I never associated growing up that with other communities that have similar forms of vernacular that are dis- dif- distinct from standardized English. Mm-hmm. And then going into that class and being like, oh, this is the exact same thing as like saying fit into. Yeah. Right? This is the same thing as saying y'all. This is yeah. the same thing as saying taters instead of potatoes. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's the exact same thing. And, like, the Appalachian community that I'm a part of, like, has been not considered, like, you know, a group of people that run the world, right? Right. And then same thing in the black community. Same thing in immigrant communities. Right. So my kids just read Amy Tan's Mother Tongue. Have you read that? Yes. Fantastic, right? Yeah. And she really clearly, and if you're listening, read it. You can just Google the PDF, find Mother Tongue by Amy Tan. And, like, her big takeaway is that, you know, my yeah, my mom speaks quotation marks broken English, mm-hmm. but she's clearly a smart woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and people, I don't know, man. What thoughts do you have on this? I'm sort of like chasing my own tail and repeating myself. No, I, I mean it, it. It is really interesting, right? Like, and as kids, what do um, we do about this? And I, I do think I always connect everything back to the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. And when we create these um, systems of language that basically are the ins and the outs, right? You're mm-hmm. either in or you're out. Mm-hmm. And then you place that into a classroom setting. Like you really do a lot of damage to the kids who are living out in the, in the sticks or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, like I did. And then you'd go and then you'd have all the kids, um, preppy kids or the suburban kids um, talking. And then you throw out your Southern dialect or your mm-hmm. farm dialect or your little Pod. All those preppy kids are co-opting black vernacular, though. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, it's, it's mainstream <laughs> yeah. social media, right? Yeah, I guess that's what, that's probably what it is. And yeah. that's uh, and mainstream social media mm. has a huge history of um, stealing from AAVE, African American mm. Vernacular English. Um, mainstream culture, even the past like five years, has a huge um, taking away from like gay culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like yes queen like yeah all of this stuff is, is and sometimes it, it's intersectionality sometimes too between um aave and um queer language and so there's a lot of back and forth between that but social media loves that so you so as you were saying that it brought something up for me that i'd like to see what you think about it because i've been thinking about so in the yoga world like i even mentioned it when mm-hmm. we were doing fitness today like a lot, so many of these things the Indians figured out 5,000 years ago. Yeah. Like how to move your body, how to sit, how to breathe, yeah. how, to, how to notice your experience so that it, how to have concentrated practice of learning how to notice your experience so that it becomes an unconscious trait mm-hmm. that you bring into your daily life of just like being they, what they, what the um, Buddhists call a householder. Yeah. Right. Just a person that's like working a job and taking care of kids. Right. 
and a conversation has been being had over the last decade or so in the yoga community of like what is the difference between appropriating and sharing something that's valuable and so I don't know where I land on that and I had a conversation with a senior yoga teacher who's been teaching for decades and this was her position which is the innovations of humanity be it linguistic right Mm -hmm. like yes queen from the gay community or um you know any anything that comes from aave which thanks for sharing me that term i didn't i've always used black vernacular but aave makes more sense um what is the distinction between appropriation and celebration and then also are coming off of that claim from the senior yoga teacher that all of the innovations of humanity are for humanity to excel with yeah i think when it comes to appropriation and it happens so frequently I think what it is for me, and I'm just going to speak from like the gay community, is like, stop stealing from a culture that you're not helping the system fight for. Okay. You know, like, there's still a lot of places in America that it is not okay to be gay and mm. go into certain places and to and don't even like think about trans or non-binary mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, and so when I think about people using terms from like queer language I'm like but how are you supporting me in a political system how are you supporting me in social situations Mm -hmm. how are you supporting me getting the rights that I deserve Mm -hmm. as a human so I think it's a lot of that right so um, example when you're talking about um, indigenous folks right Mm -hmm. if you are using the terminology or if you are um, using the, the stuff that they used to do and how they learned about the land like how are we providing reparations for those communities mm-hmm. you know like is there another step that you're going to do or are you just going to use their culture as a way to feel good about yourself or mm-hmm. as a way to be like oh my gosh i have a spirit animal like mm-hmm. like that's actually cultural appropriation because mm-hmm. you're stealing from a culture that you're not supporting mm-hmm. like and that you historically have not supported being in a group of say white people mm-hmm. like us as white people have not done enough to provide reparations for these marginalized communities um, and so I think about it in, in that respect a lot so it's like take the tools but like give back proportionally to yeah. what you've earned yeah or what you've taken rather yeah same thing like um, when when we talk about um, black history like okay slaves are free mm-hmm. phenomenal great okay we're f- like slaves are free but like you didn't provide the land that they've been working on mm-hmm. for the past X amount of years. Mm-hmm. You were just like, hey, go. You um, didn't provide any s- sort of financial support, social support, systematic support. Um, and so all of those things over the course of years, it's kind of like, hey, dude, like, you keep stealing from me and you like my culture, but you're mm-hmm. not doing anything to support doing my anything. shit. Yeah, it's interesting. I like that perspective. That makes sense. And as you say that, I'm thinking about... so. Um, what I'm thinking about is what I value about the studio that I work with and the yoga school that I teach yeah. for, specifically to the practice of yoga. Like, yes, we use the tools of yoga. Yeah. We te- like tomorrow I have to give like a two-hour uh, lecture on the history of yoga. Um, the yoga school that I teach for is actually really mindful about this and yeah. and using using like Sanskrit where you would most people would otherwise be using mm-hmm. English. We try to utilize that as much. Um, I'm not, I'm not sharing this as like a form of display, but I'm just sharing this because it's like coming up for yeah, me because yeah. like what you said actually resonates with what we've been up to. So I'm, and we also uh, teach the history and then a percentage of the proceeds that we, uh, not proceeds, but like the cash payments for yeah. the yoga teacher trainings goes directly to uh, these orphanages in India, yeah. which is really cool. Um, and I'm super grateful for that. And so when I started teaching with the Kunga Yoga School, they had like seven orphanages or mm-hmm. so. And then we've just been collecting money and collecting money and sending it over and like helping them out. Now they have like 21 orphanages yeah. for young girls in India, which is just insane. It's like thousands of kids yeah. that have lived the most hellacious experiences that you think a kid could mm-hmm. experience. And now they have a community predominantly of women. And the cool thing about this program is that, so it's Homes of Hope Orphanage. I actually put a link in the show notes. So if you want to donate to them, they're a really great organization. But they... Um, when the girls graduate, like you get done with your education, yeah, there's always 
an opportunity for them to come back and feed the system. And so it's like this growth that's become exponential because the girls, you know, it starts out with, it started out with one school. The guy's name is escaping me who started it. I'll, I'll write that in the thing, but he started it. Obviously you start with one and then the girls get through the program and they're like, okay, so we, what do we do? Like we're, we're done. We are educated. Um, they have like emotional support stuff. They have therapeutic stuff. They have, and then, but in some of these really remote spots, so like Kunga Fest, which is a, a festival that we do at the yoga studio every yeah. year. Two years ago, we raised enough money to provide clean. So some of these are super remote. Right. Like some of these spots are super remote. And India is a massive country. Um, and they didn't have clean drinking water. Right. They didn't have reliable drinking water. And the people of this town came to the yoga studio I teach at it in balance and they donated enough money to provide a clean drinking facility for like over a hundred young girls. Oh, heck yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like a bunch of yogis, like a bunch of hippies in the mountains of Appalachia (laughs) raising money. And it's like at $5 at a time. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not even, and you know, a lot of people come to the classes and like, I got two bucks. I'll give you two bucks. And they come to the class and then it aggregates together. I think we raised like 10 grand two years ago. It's amazing. It's so cool, man. But the kids, like when they, and they also they have schools attached to it um, that uh, boys go to as well because you know just like the any orphan kid yeah. needs needs protection but specifically the young girls because of you know sex trade and like all of these course. really like terrible of things course. that you can imagine um, they have the educational program for both boys and girls the orphanages are independent and they're just female and then uh, they feed back into the system so yeah. it's like it just keeps growing it's like i get an email every like four months it's like oh we're, we're breaking ground on a new yeah. spot you know yeah that's that's interesting it's super cool man yeah um i'm curious about what you think about because we're i mean we can go as long as you want to sure. but one thing we haven't talked about is um why you're going back to school yeah so because so let me share real quick so the uh, I told I told my kids. Yeah. I was like, oh, on Saturday, because I do gratitude lists every Friday. It's like I'm grateful for blank because blank, and then they just write for three minutes, right? Um, and I said I'm grateful for my weekend because I'm gonna go work out with Mr. Witten, and then we're yeah. gonna do a podcast together. And so I share it, like I write it, and then I share it just to like model behavior. And the kids like got fired up. Yeah. They were like, yeah. Mr. Witten. <laughs> so I, I share that to tell you that like um, your presence was valued at mm-hmm. the school. And so, not to, like, say, come back to the school, but, like, <laughs> I'm just curious, like, because you, you seem to, like, fit in there. You f- seemed like you were doing something good. So, like, there must be something on the horizon for you that you're looking for. So, why yeah, go back to school? Um, so, there's a, couple, there's a few different things that played out, right? Um, and it was never, like, the kids. The hardest day of my entire teaching career was the day I told my students that I wasn't going to be back next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was terrible. Um, but number one, did you cry? No. Have you ever cried in front of your kids? No, I have number one. Like there is, you didn't even ask me when I cried. Am I offended that you didn't ask me? Did you like, it's my podcast, bro. Was it like a hot mess of a cry? (laughs) No, it it was like a little teary thing. We'll talk about it later. Oh, it's not bad. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to co-op the other thing. Oh no, you're good. And then my mic fell. Um, on a basic level, Virginia Tech offered me a full ride. Oh, cool. Um, which when you think of the the grand scheme of like how education plays out, like if someone's paying for, PhD? for it. Yeah. Really? Someone's paying for it and giving you a stipend to live off of. Like at the bottom line, that, that matters. Oh you know? yeah. It matters to a lot of people, especially when um, you don't have the best financial background, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is not the reason fully of going back. Um, but that's a solid motivator. But it is. Yeah. It is a solid motivator. You'll it's be more effective it. if you do, if you come back to the classroom or like whatever the next step is. And anyone that tells you that they, that that's not a motivator for going back, like mm-hmm. I, I'm like, that's that has that's a that's a huge factor, man. Mm-hmm. And at least own it, right? A mm-hmm. lot of people don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And yeah, then, you don't you don't have kids. You, yeah. you don't have a partner. Like you're not married. Like you just like you can do your thing. You know. The I don't know how I would do that though. Like I would have to. Go ahead. I'm just I'm bringing the yeah, conversation no, back to myself as I always do. That's why <laughs> I'm so egotistical things, to have a right? podcast. Like we, we, we go back to how we <laughs> our experience, respond to yeah. our lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the yo-yo of, of teaching during COVID illustrated to me a lot of things that I had already known, um, but the frustrations I think were a lot greater this go round. Like mm-hmm. 
how we treat our teachers and how we yeah. kind of go back and forth between like, oh, let's do this, let's do this. Mm -hmm. The fact that you send out surveys and then don't listen to the results mm -hmm. of the survey um, to the population that's greatly being affected, which are the students and the teachers. If you're mm -hmm. not listening to those types of surveys, it's really problematic um, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about all those things and then um, Virginia Tech reached out to me. And then after that, I was like, you know, Clint, there's this big piece of research that is out there that not a lot of people want to touch. And that is um, what queerness looks like in middle school rural spaces. Mm -hmm. Like, queer and rural, oh God. Mm -hmm. Like, talking about queerness in middle school, oh God. Mm -hmm. Like, and so all those intersectionalities, I was like, it's going to be a lot of trauma for me to go back because mm -hmm. obviously I was queer and I was closeted in mm -hmm. a rural space. Um, and I knew in middle school, so mm -hmm. I'm like, I need to check myself into like therapy yeah. <laughs> as I go through this Shouts PhD program. I had to leave work early the other day to meet with my therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, Clint, people need to be talking about this because I don't, I don't give a shit. Like, if you think that you don't have people in the queer community in your classrooms, mm -hmm. like you do. You so do. Say, I teach 110 kids a year. You do. Like they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, some of them are open. And some of them are closet. And some of them are closet. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought about it and I was like, you know, maybe it's time, three years, take some time, look into these spaces. And honestly, it is. Um, the professors have been asking us this week, they're like, all right, what's your name? What's your program? What do you hope to do after you graduate? And so my answers have been pretty honest. I was like, my name is Clint Wooden. Like, I'm in the Foundations of Education program. I was like, I'm going to wing it after. I don't really know what I'm going to be doing after. I said, but it's going to be doing something to support LGBTQ plus students in, in, in spaces that mm -hmm. they don't feel comfortable in. Mm -hmm. And I think that doing that type of work is, is really important because the queer kids are the kids that help me come out, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like those kids and I always say that my, my students were the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back of me coming out in general and so mm -hmm. I don't know I know the trauma of going through school mm -hmm. and not getting to be yourself yeah. but knowing who you are yeah and so and from hearing from what you said sort of like pushing against that or yeah. hiding it like yeah like overtly hiding it but then also like talking about the positivity towards your body yourself your creativity from yeah. the earlier part like there's probably some stuff in there yeah. it's like i actually don't want this to be the case in this yeah. moment maybe and it's so interesting because yeah i was on a set of a commercial last week or the week before, the week before last what were you on the set of a commercial <laughs> for i just do everything you live so many <laughs> lives bro it's so crazy i was on the set of a commercial and i was talking to this parent and um you know i was talking about the trans policy that's happening across virginia um, and she got really defensive and she was like, well, I just don't think anything like that should be taught in school. Mm -hmm. And I quickly responded and I said, um, well, like, you know, Romeo and Juliet's taught in ninth grade mm -hmm. historically. I think it's even getting kind of pushed down a little bit further now mm -hmm. in some schools. I was like, Romeo and Juliet is one of the sexiest novels oh, it's, plays yeah. that you can read. Oh yeah. And I'm like, if we think about the, this, stories that are being taught mm -hmm. if there are going to be relationships they're very heteronormative mm -hmm. right and then I, this is my favorite thing i did because uh, i made a tiktok on it um i which so you don't need to follow <laughs> you don't need to follow his tiktok because it's exploded but what's your tiktok clint winton uh it's cdw615 cdw okay what a stupid name i, I dude i it was <laughs> how COVID, did you get any followers and covid and i um I just okay. was bored. So you made the TikTok. I just sidetracked you. You made um, the TikTok video after And the I didn't want it to be the same username as my Instagram because I knew that my TikTok would be public. Mm -hmm. um, and so I made this whole thing, and I, all I did was a quick Google search. Mm -hmm. Middle school short stories, period. Okay. And you get the lottery. Mm -hmm. You get the telltale heart. Mm -hmm. You get the dangerous game. Mm -hmm. You get... Um, What's the other one that was on there? There's like a couple of other ones. And what I really found out in that literally like 60 second TikTok, I was like, we are so comfortable talking about all these violent acts. 
The most dangerous game is about a guy who hunts humans. Literally, the, the Telltale Heart, like, is, he, getting he dismembers this guy. The lottery, and a girl gets him. stoned to death. Yeah. And, like, these are stories that in middle school curriculum, we were like, yeah, like, it, it engages the kids. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, y'all are so comfortable talking about that that you're uncomfortable Dude, that talking is, about sexuality. That is such a good argument. Like, you're that uncomfortable about sexuality that you'd rather talk about murdering people and well i mean for example they, they, they teach family life stuff like right before winter break yeah and they're like okay now go home figure yeah. it out like if you have questions ask your parents i have a whole separate like rant about sex ed and yeah and so like we had, we had a cursory level conversation about how they, they don't teach anything about lgbtq no. plus like it's just no. completely if it is not reproductive and it's it's outside of abstinence then it is you're gonna die mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna die i think so in my head i've always thought i've i've so there's two th so there's, there's a question i want to ask and then i my thought about why people actually I have two questions mm -hmm. so maybe um i'll get them both out and i'll remember them but the first thing is i think that people are very uncomfortable thinking about sexuality when it comes to can i have more one of course when it comes to anybody under the age of 18 yes right um, I think it makes them extremely uncomfortable, any capacity of sexuality. And so I think that the um, LGBTQ plus uh, conversation has been completely, hey, here's to you, both, has been completely marred by puritanical fear of, like, if we talk about this, then they're going to start doing this. Right. And I think that's where it comes from. And I don't think that that's the right place because to your point, I think you made the perfect counter argument. Yeah. was like, we're talking about Edgar Allan Poe's narrator, yep. dismembering a guy, yep. definitely going through schizophrenia. Yep. Um, and it's like celebrated oh, for its pros. in there. Oh, yeah. All the girl gets in trapped in a closet, and yeah. this is like a huge moment in life. Like, mm -hmm. we're okay talking about that type of mm -hmm. shit? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's not even, doesn't even have to be violent. It could just, well, there is violence in that. They like bully her into yeah. the closet. But, and, and, and that kid in that story, read all these stories. If you haven't read these stories, like, you're. Get your life. Yeah. You got these are worth reading, even as an adult. But all summer today is like Margot is struggling. She is. She yeah. is. She is struggling, and she. I actually teach that story, and I teach that story because it's an opportunity to show the kids, like, yeah. like the conversation of you might not notice this. Yeah. And you might be in a situation. What I, you know what, Clint? I'm gonna hopefully I'll remember the questions that I wanted to ask you because I've already lost them, but maybe they'll come back to me. One of the things that I've noticed about my life is that there were stretches of time where I was the kid that would have put Margo in the closet. Oh yeah. I would I would I would have been I was, you know, I was a football player. I had this like sense of like that's how I express my manhood mm -hmm. because you know, I didn't really have I think that young men are always looking for an example mm -hmm. of what it means to be a man, right? And probably the same for women and probably p people non-binary. Like I just, it's, I, that's, play, it's not right? my, it's not my experience. Yeah. And so I can't speak to that, but I can speak to my experience, which is I didn't know what it was like. And so I get on the football team and I see these guys that are stronger than me, faster than me, yeah. have more attention than me. And they're behaving this way. It's youth gender performance. Youth gender performance. Yeah. It's, okay. we are trying to perform these gender norms that we are expected by society to, to live up to. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I think there's beauty in the masculinity that I've defined for oh, myself. 100%. I think that the man that I am now is a completely different person. And it's, yeah. it's come through the things that I've experienced. Yeah. And I think that it is. And I, yeah. I mean, this isn't necessarily a conversation about masculinity. But I do appreciate that there are traits in me that I value. Mm -hmm. You know, but I would have been that guy. I would have been but that I guy. Mean, I would have put Margaret right in the closet. Same here. And she would get out of the closet and be like, "Whatever, dude." I deal was with doing it. everything in high school to perform straight. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'll never forget. In political science, uh, we had to do a whole campaign, and one of my campaign things in high school, knowing that I was gay. I would look across the classroom and I would say, well, you know, I just like don't really care what they do referring to queer people. Mm -hmm. I don't really care what they do, but I just like don't think they should get married like in a church because that's like, that's like sanctionary. Like, I don't know why anybody Like what the hell am I thinking? Like now? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> like I'm like, Clint, you really said that. And like, now here you are. You'll like, have to bring that up to your therapist. Right. And now <laughs> here I am like very out like, and, and I think there's a lot of health that comes into me being out and as you were saying 
masculinity versus femininity, which is a huge uh, point of discourse in, in the queer community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are spaces that, as a person who can present masculine energy, I feel more comfortable in versus other spaces where a queer person might not feel comfortable mm-hmm. in. Um, and so I think queer, like, I think masculinity and femininity are really interesting topics of how students in schools are trying to perform to that social norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I think that the conversation around the, like, the binary, the binary nature of masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. creates problems because I have, yeah. I have feminine traits and there are parts of me that, that, that are considered traditionally feminine yeah. and I enjoy experiencing those things. Um, and my masculine stuff too. So I want to get back to the question that I actually uh, was thinking about. So um, in a previous podcast, I was asking Ryan, um, who's another teacher that you and I mm-hmm. both know, and we were talking about because he's te- he's speaking today at what time is it? In like three hours, so we got to wrap this he's at some in. point so I can go take a shower. But after this workout, before dialogue t- on race, yeah, dialogue yeah. on race uh, today. Um, and so that's actually my first time going. I'm I'm super excited, yeah. and I didn't know he was speaking until like we did the podcast, oh, which awesome. is cool. Yeah. But I asked him this question because, you know, I've been part of, like, you guys had a book club. Mm-hmm. And I've been in different, um, like, the yoga studio has put on different conversations about uh, race specifically um, and the queer community and just yeah. these different conversations. And one of the things that I can't figure out is there are people in the world who are not bad people mm-hmm. who have thoughts that... W- don't agree with the conversation they're not the type of folk that would go to the dialogue on race but it doesn't mean that they're racist yeah do you know what i mean yeah and there are people who think the people that think that there shouldn't be a conversation about trans kids in schools yeah or uh non-reproductive sexual activity in schools those people aren't inherently bad I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're bad people. I don't think, and so what the question is, is how do we, and this isn't something you probably, like you, maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. And, um, I sort of got an answer from Ryan and I've just been asking all the people that I know that, because I want, I, these people are in my life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. These are people that I know that they're like, well, this, well, of course gay people are fine, but like, as soon as you start throwing, choosing your pronouns, it's like, you're crazy. You know what I mean? Like I know these people. And then in the same thing of like talking about CRI, like people or CRT rather critical race theory, like people are like, you're indoctrinating our kids to make all the young white boys want to kill themselves. Do you know what I mean? And so they're not necessarily bad people. And I don't know how to bridge the gap between bringing the conversation to them in a capacity that they're willing to actually hear it. Right. Because I don't pretend to know these things. Right. Like you, you taught you've been teaching me things for the last 40 minutes. Um, through your experience and through your like, like work of understanding. And that's one of the reasons I want to do the podcast is so I can continue to learn things, but that's because I'm an open person. Right. Right. And I may not agree or disagree with everything that I hear from all the people that I have conversations with, but some people just won't have conversations and I don't know how to start that. I often think of it as like almost like a, if not now, when, Mm -hmm. you know, like kids are in school so much of their lives until they're 18. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, so much. Oh, yeah. Like, more time than they're at home, probably. And if they are at home, they're doing their own thing, they're hanging out with their friends, like... And so, I think school has got to be this place of, like, yeah, we're gonna learn what a metaphor is, but you know what? Also, we need to learn how to process the human condition right how to um, explore the human condition what makes us sick what makes us um, motivated what makes us feel safe what makes us feel comfortable what um, what love looks like right what scares us what scares how does it feel to be anxious and so when I when I think about the people that are like well I don't know if that needs to be taught or or the pronoun thing um, I'm like but why does it matter to you Mm -hmm. like if, if you were that closed off, then why are you so upset when someone chooses a new pronoun for themselves? I think it's because it attacks their sense. I think that, so this is something that I've, I've taken from the yoga traditions, yeah. right? So in Buddhist philosophy, through meditation practice, yeah. you understand that your thoughts are not you. 
you are not your thoughts. In the same way, like right now, you're sitting here and your heart is beating. Yeah. You're breathing. You never identify with your heart. Yeah. You are not your heart. You're not your breath. And just like the heart beats, beats, and the lungs breathe air, the brain can't help but think thoughts. Yeah. But there's a distinct quality to thoughts that we associate them with who we are, where I think we have a deeper essence, which yeah. just like the grammar conversation earlier, yeah. and I'm not a religious person, but I do think that there's like a piece of that that's involved. Um, just like the grammar conversation yeah. earlier, it's like this meta existence of the one. And I think that people often like these flutters, yeah. They think they are them. And, and we, we also talk about, like, everyone's on their own journey, right? And mm -hmm. let me tell you, the amount of stairs I've had to walk up, walk back down, walk up, and walk back down for certain people is, mm -hmm. I've been on a stair stepper my whole life. <laughs> and so even the people that have been super closed off at the middle school that I've worked at um, and done a lot of stuff with, I always try to find some type of, like, teeny bit of, like, there's that little rice grain that mm -hmm. you do understand it. Mm-hmm. I see that you understand it. Mm -hmm. And so here's how we can kind of move from that. Like example, um, Ryan Wade, who is mixed, and then me, who is an outwardly gay teacher, we're talking to this faculty member. Mm -hmm. And we we're talking about like, you know, like life is kind of messed up for these minority groups. Like mm -hmm. it just is like in, in period. Mm -hmm. And she was very much like, I just like, don't think so. Like, I like don't see that. And finally I was like, girl like really like seriously like there are places that I feel uncomfortable going into as a queer guy like mm -hmm. Ryan like there are places where he feels uncomfortable going in mm -hmm. because he is a mixed guy like mm -hmm. this just exists mm -hmm. like sorry and so she finally said <laughs> which cracks me up so much she goes well there was this one time I was in college and I was getting observed by my teacher my university supervisor and she goes and I'm pretty sure he deducted points because of my accent. And I was like. But that's where she could access it, exactly. that concept, it was right? where yeah. she could access it. And all I did was shake my head and say, see, exactly. You understand that. <laughs> 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 and in my head, I'm like, this woman is talking to a queer guy <laughs> and yeah. a half black guy. And I'm like, yeah. mm-hmm. But and that's so where she can access it. You do. It. It's, it's like, it's in like the fitness practice we did this morning. Yeah. We we're talking about like, oh, Metcons are infinitely yeah. scalable the yoga practice that i teach it's infinitely scalable you just meet people where they are i guess that's the takeaway and if it's your accent i'll i'll go with it man <laughs> we start we start there i'll go with it i think one last thing i want to ask you um because i know that a handful of teachers do listen to this podcast and um so i what do people uh people that are in leadership roles be it mm -hmm. education or like i know of yeah people people listen that have an opportunity to make choices yeah. that can be more inclusive. And I think conversation is part of that, but the conversation of like, for example, if you're in a classroom, yeah. if you have not considered these things, you'll be extremely clumsy yeah. and probably say some things that are like problematic, just yeah. trying to honestly explore it. It's sure. And so I think that that's like a level three move. Yeah. I think that there are subtle things like I have like a pride flag in my room. Sure. I try to decorate my room in uh, a multicultural way. Mm -hmm. I try to expose kids to literature that's that's different than my experience sure. or maybe their experience. So those are sort of my like subtle. I mean they're very, they're overt, right. but they're like less involved with me standing in front of the room and trying to articulate the complexities yeah. of being a more equitable person in a more equitable community. So do you have any thoughts on like what are just to like as we wrap like what are conscious things that people could do that don't require them to have clear articulation on these things? Yeah. And a lot of the things that you were saying are, are great. You know, mm -hmm. um, my biggest thing is if you are a teacher who is um, lesson planning or um, coming up with curriculum and if you if the first thought in your head is not like I have about. 115 social identities that I need to find something for them to connect to. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it is the one kid that's in the back of your room that is trans. Like, hey, find a trans text because that one kid needs to feel represented. Mm -hmm. Like, and so a lot of it can come through literature. Um, mathematicians, when it comes to math classes, like, have a space in your wall where you have a bunch of queer 
math folks and it's not so much you have to sit there and be like hey guys like let's look at this wall and let's talk mm -hmm. about all these people you don't have to talk about these things right like just for them existing example um this year i was teaching makeup for theater mm -hmm. i would be stupid not to use drag queens to teach makeup oh yeah i remember you did that yeah. like it just i would be stupid and yeah. i don't have to have the conversation like hey these are drag queens these are men who perform and dress mm -hmm. as queens like mm -hmm. i don't have to do that mm -hmm. i say hey guys, like we're gonna learn about makeup today, we're gonna do contouring stuff. I have a tutorial, this drag queen, uh, Jan from New York, she's gonna show us how to do makeup in this like five minute tutorial, period. So mm -hmm. I, don't even, I don't even need to have conversation around it. Mm -hmm. And the kids are so interesting, they're, they'll type in the comments or they'll talk in class, they're like, I think they're trying to become a woman. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, but that makeup, that makeup's really good, good though, though, right? right? It's fire. <laughs> and so it, it is it. Those, those subtle things, right? Like having queer folks um not even in your classroom but around your your pod and your hall like mm -hmm. represented and then like dudes check your policies okay like for three or four years of me teaching every day or at the beginning of every school year or during the faculty book club i would always bring up our school policy because sexuality is not mentioned in it mm -hmm. they'll talk about gender they'll talk about um race they'll talk about socioeconomic status and all of of those moments but sexuality is never like control f that thing like mm -hmm. type in sexuality it's non-existent mm -hmm. um and so policy is a huge thing and creating those safe places where like hey like we're gonna do this club and you can come or not come like that's a subtle thing that you can do and so in science class like there's so many queer scientists that explore um so many different things and so i think what it really comes down to is you can't be a teacher and say you love all of your students if you are not actively making the conscious choice to represent all of your students, right? Boom. Um, and it, 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 it takes time and it's hard, but here's the thing that drives me insane. Like the resources are there, mm -hmm. like reach out to the queer teacher. And I'm not saying that as a queer teacher, I need to be everything that's queer, right? Like that's not mm -hmm. all me. Mm -hmm. Same thing for Ryan Wade. Just I've because had, yeah, I've he had is a mixed teacher doesn't mm -hmm. mean everything race needs to go to him. Mm -hmm. However, like I had, do have resources and mm -hmm. I type up stuff and I send it out and I don't mind doing that. Like I just have cultivated these things. It's my research. It's mm -hmm. my my passion. Ideally, we'd find a situation where it's like, well, see, here's the, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to rev back into something else as we are yeah. bringing it to a close. But I think it's I think it's important for people that aren't part of a community, be it queer or um, BIPOC, like where mm -hmm. whatever it is. I think it's important, like for someone that looks like me and has preferences like me. Yeah, I don't think that it's necessarily a good idea to always be reaching out to your gay yeah. friends or your black friends or your and Asian you friends. Be, you have to be comfortable in your own discomfort, right? And then the, on the other side of that, I agree with that. But just to like button this point, on the other side of it, it's like. I can't take agency over these things I don't own. Yeah. So it's like, it's this, it's this thing that like is almost unsolvable for someone. It's not that it's almost unsolvable. It's a, it's a challenging problem to, to address yeah. of like, how do I gather thoughts, resources and linguistic tools mm -hmm. so that I can do this without exacerbating all mm -hmm. of my friends that aren't cis heteronormative white yeah. dudes without appropriating all their stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I think it is kind of like that. Listen, at the end of the day, you, you got to learn this stuff for yourself sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you just got to do your own yeah. Google your research. Your, I mean, that's what we teach our kids all the time. Like, Hey, if you don't know the answer, figure it out. look it up, figure, figure it, it out. out. Like, yeah. I'm so giving you the tools of critical thinking and language. Can, so now they'll figure too, it like. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like I said, the, the idea of like being comfortable in your discomfort, but also it's okay to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. If you have a kid who um, is transitioning or is um, using their pronouns um, and you mess it up, be honest. You know, be like, I am so sorry I used your dead pronouns. Mm -hmm. Like, I will make sure I make a mental that's note. The, I think that's the biggest fear for people. I got you. Is is saying the wrong thing. Yeah. I think, and, and you hear this with really conservative you know talking heads it's yeah. like the aka cancel culture kind of thing like yeah. people are terrified of that oh, and 100%. i think i think that 
I think that on the whole, if you're a genuine person and you recognize like, oh, actually, I, did, I, I made a mistake. Like yeah. that, I, that th this didn't sound right and this wasn't in my heart and the tools that I was using linguistically didn't represent what I actually yeah. feel. And I apologize that they came out that yeah. way. Um, now, if you keep making the mistake. <laughs> yeah, you just keep banging away at it, right? That's a different story. Yeah. Clint, I think that the thing you said uh, like five minutes ago, which is you can't say that you love all your students if you're not trying to show them. Yeah representation i think that that is the biggest takeaway for me yeah and i think that everybody can have the opportunity and, and again this expands past education this is an education podcast it goes into fitness goes into yoga goes into all these places business all of it i think i just love that idea yeah i'm happy we did this man what? I'm happy we did this. Oh, 100%. I started, I can hear my voice in here. So I'm like, <laughs> like I said, I'm sultry in the mic. Um, yeah, man, we'll do this again. Wine, queer, um, fitness. That's my jam. Wine, queer, fitness. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. This is way to my heart. That, that, that's the Tinder profile that's the, right that's there. The, that's the name of your podcast. <laughs> Wine, queer, fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> well, look, man, thanks for doing this. I appreciate of it. Of course, man. Anytime. All right, brother. Yeah. Boom. There it is, guys. Another one in the books. Really enjoyed talking to my buddy Clint, listening back to this, to do the edit, the intro, the outro. Really solid conversation. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Follow along. Hit me up on Instagram at Aaron Wayne Yoga. Follow Clint at Clint's underscore here. See you guys on the next one. Peace.